Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. If you notice today's episode title, you'll notice a special number in there. It's episode 900. Holy cow, we have gotten to 900 episodes. How cool is that? I was brought on around episode 400 and something, or 400, right around there, and was editing a little bit before then, maybe in the late 300s. So I've been I've been with the show over half the episodes. It has been 900 amazing stories of adventure, of uh, advice, of inspiration, and today's episode is no different. We wanted to celebrate this episode with an epic story, an epic adventure, and Rue McKenrick has that story for us. It is the American Perimeter Trail, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a trail, a hiking trail, a through-hiking trail that goes around essentially the edge of the U.S. I'm not going to go over the details of what it is, but imagine a trail that goes, you know, starts in, I mean, you can start it from anywhere, but Rue started it in Bend, Oregon, and went up to Washington, across the northern portion of the U.S., uh, the lower 48, that is, all the way over to essentially Pennsylvania, then south along really the Appalachian Trail or parallel to the Appalachian Trail, then across the southern U.S., back west, then up essentially the Pacific Crest Trail. And it is an epic, epic journey. And Rue finished this in October 2022. So recently, just a couple months ago, we talked not a week or two after he was off the trail. It was amazing. We're going to link that AmericanPerimeterTrail.org. But this story is so cool because Rue is so insightful. He's so inspiring. He got into this through a bike accident and some just personal stuff that like caused him to change his life. And, and that's what we hear a lot on this show. People do the thing that they're proud of. They do the adventure they're proud of when they're forced to by the tides and the waves and the the struggles of life. The pandemic, a perfect example. So we're going to have adventurers on this show telling stories for years to come just from the effect the pandemic had on people. People lost their job. People realized they didn't like what they were doing. People realized now is the time to do that adventure. It happens every time we have an economic downturn. And with Rue's story, uh, it was a bike injury and realizing, hey, I don't know how long I have to be on this planet. Let me start this adventure I've been thinking of and start this trail. So not only is he hiking this trail and hit, and just finished it, he's advocating for it to be a national scenic trail. So it's a really cool mission of purpose and adventure, that combination. So I've been talking way too long. I want to say thank you so much to everybody who's listening, whether you've been a longtime listener or you just started listening. This is your first episode, 900 episodes in, telling stories of adventure. Thank you so much to everyone who has helped make that possible, who has reached out over the years and said, hey, thanks for producing this uh, and has just helped us continue to make this. If you want to reach out, info at adventuresportspodcast.com or Mason at adventuresportspodcast.com or, or find us on social media and just say hello. Tell us what the show's meant to you or leave us a review. That's super helpful. I've really been encouraged by some of the reviews lately. So gosh, here's to another 900. All right, let's jump in. All right, folks, you heard a bit, a little bit about Rue in the intro. Rue, how's it going? Hi, Mason. Thank you so very much for having me here today. I, I don't know. We didn't talk about this before we recorded. You could be anywhere in the world, for all I know. Where are you and where is home <laughs> if you have somewhere you go home? Uh, that's a good start-off question. So I, just to summarize quickly, I just finished the American Perimeter Trail in Bend, Oregon, which is where I live. But I haven't lived for a couple years, really. Then I was in Montana with Wilderness Mindset Productions, who are creating a documentary about the American Perimeter Trail. Then I flew into, I'm in Michigan right now. Whoa. And then I'm heading to South Carolina in six days. When did you finish the trail? Finished the trail on October 8th in downtown Bend, Oregon, where I started in July of 2019. Oh my gosh. And and I wanted to tell you something else very special as well. I'm actually sitting right now in the first ever built American Perimeter Trail shelter 
is where I'm broadcasting from today. <laughs> no way. We've got a foot of snow on the ground here and it's cold, but this shelter is actually enclosed and I've got the wood stove going right now. So I'm actually very toasty and warm in here, but it's an honor to be in, like I said, our, our first shelter and to be speaking with you from there today. Now is that, I guess that's near Ben, that shelter somewhere at the start or finish of the, of the trail? I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. You're in Michigan. You're in Michigan. That's that's right. I'm actually just a couple miles south of the headquarters of the North Country National Scenic Trail, and I'm on the na- I'm on the North Country Trail right now at the shelter. <laughs> no kidding. So yeah, if you start the trail at Bend, the first designated shelter was a few thousand miles in. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about the trail and how it came to be and just this crazy idea called the American Perimeter Trail. But first, I want to hear about, you know, what led to this? Because people don't just start out wanting to hike, you know, 10,000 miles. People build up to it typically, you know, not everyone. Um, We've definitely talked to a couple of folks on this show that just jump into the craziest thing you've ever heard. But I know you were born and raised in Western Pennsylvania, you know, what was your childhood? Were you growing up backpacking, doing outdoor stuff in a family that did this kind of stuff? Or did you have to discover it on your own? I so appreciate the question. I wrote a piece about this for our past newsletter uh, in the, the American Perimeter Trail Conference newsletter called The Thread. And I spoke about, you know, the different reasons that people backpack or hike. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one, maybe it was a marriage and their partner liked to backpack. I mean, maybe it was just an extended fishing trip. Everyone has their different reasons. And I say that, you know, through the piece that I don't really have a reason that I can nail down. And at the end, I say, you know what? I don't even know. It was probably church (laughs) camp. (laughs) And so like growing up in Pennsylvania, I was in very close proximity to the Appalachian Trail my parents would end up moving on top of a mountain where you could walk through the back of their property was just state forest land. And so you could just walk across that and hit the Appalachian trail in a couple minutes. So I was in proximity. So I think that's important. Do keep in mind though. I mean, I have four brothers and none of them are hikers or backpackers. We grew up the same, but I would say that, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up camping and backpacking. It was something that I imagine that through reading books like Colin Fletcher's like Essential Backpacker or maybe Ray Jardine's Beyond Backpacking and Henry David Thoreau and Emerson that I started to have like a romantic notion about the wilderness and what that meant and what it meant to be in wild areas. So I started, I guess, to like cultivate that maybe even before some of the physical aspects of it. And I will share this with you just quickly. I remember we I saw backpackers through most of the summer. I was going to ask how often did you see the 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 actual the culture? I mean, probably not as often as you would nowadays cuz that was 20 some, you know, it's 25 years ago, but I would see people from time to time and you know, at the age of 16 I could drive, which meant meant I could give people rides. And so there was a small like there was a small grocery in the village that the Appalachian Trail crosses near, but it's still a couple miles from from trail. And so that was the only place really, there wasn't anything else there. So you basically backpackers would go to that store and I would see them sitting outside and I would talk to them and ask them if they needed a ride. And I just remember these two ladies talking to me about their experience. They had come from Georgia. And so they're basically at the halfway point. They said, well, we play in the woods all day. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm a nature boy. I just, and maybe even by nature, I'm a nature boy, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that it's really something that I, that I cultivated or like, I didn't necessarily have a mentor besides, like I said, reading authors, but I'm a nature boy. And so that sounded like a very good proposition to me. So I was like, sign me up. And I don't know that I know, knew in that moment that I was going to start distance backpacking when I became of age and I could make those decisions for myself. But I knew I was going to be traveling. I had traveled through Europe quite a bit, like spent a couple summers living there when I was younger without my parents. And so when I turned 18, 
I started to realize that I had seen more of other countries than I'd actually seen of my own country. And this turned me on to like the notion of discovering and finding out what America was. And the way in which I chose to do that was through foot travel. I felt like that was an interesting vehicle in which to explore not only just like the wildlands and places you can't drive into, but also like a way as an icebreaker and to start up conversations and relationships with people from all over. And there's all these micro cultures around the United States. The United States, I found out through the American Perimeter Trail, is not homogenous in any kind of way. I and mean, people have very different beliefs, ideas, and traditions. And sometimes those change very quickly, like cross a state line, and it's almost different on one side than the other. So that was part of the exploration. And I felt like foot travel was really an interesting way of doing that. Rue, you, you just went through some incredible stuff. One concept you just mentioned was how going off and doing an adventure and, and being another part of the world helped you see home in a whole new light. I've experienced that. And I've seen, I've talked to so many adventures here who, who say, you know, I grew up in an area, I went off and I came back and realized my home was just as adventurous somewhere. I, you know, that, you know, may, maybe isn't the most exciting, but when you see it with a new set of eyes, it's endlessly fascinating. Places that you spent your whole life are now feel totally undiscovered because there's so many things you didn't realize were, were there before. You weren't, you just didn't have the eyes to see it. Absolutely, Mason. I mean, even my home in Pennsylvania, you know, whenever I've gone back there, which becomes fewer over the years because a lot of my family has moved out of there, but and visiting there at Christmas or something like that, I would spend the whole time I was there um, hiking. And each time I would go back, it would look different, <laughs> although it hadn't changed. And I would have a different perspective. And also, I think what you're alluding to is like, not more of an appreciation, but a different kind of appreciation. I've talked to so many other adventures. It makes you so curious about places that you thought you knew. And you're like, wow, what, what else could I discover back home? Or what else is there in... It takes me to that quote, it's famous travel quote that says, coming back is not the same as never leaving. That's true. In fact, it's 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 a huge, huge part of the the experience to go somewhere first, see how other things are done, and then 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 come back. It can totally change you, totally change the way you're viewing things. So you came back after being all over Europe to through hike the Appalachian Trail. What made you want to go through that? Um, was it just, yeah, hey, this is my backyard. This is, you know, I grew up seeing this. I want to finally know what this experience is like. It almost feels to me, Mason, that it's one of those things that it's like the time has come. <laughs> when it was happening, it happened very fast. I didn't plan for this far in the future. I felt like it would happen someday. But when I actually decided I was going to go do it, I mean, it must have only been a couple of weeks I had a little bit of cash, you know, I had, I had some gear and I think I just like many things in my life, I'm, I'm not impulsive, but when it's come to, if I make a decision, then I usually am just ready to go for it. You know, I, I don't usually make decisions for things <laughs> five years ahead of time and then wait to work on them. You know, it's just, if I've made a decision, it's, I might as well get started now. So I think I had probably made a decision about the Appalachian Trail or distance backpacking sometime before that. I was 22 years old. But when the time actually came, it all happened fairly fast. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. So I lived at the Southern Terminus. And I actually walked back home to my parents in Pennsylvania, which was just a really fun experience for me because I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm <laughs> you know, I told you that they they lived right off the Appalachian Trail. So I just came to the spot in the trail where I usually cut and I cut into the forest. There's no trail. And I cut into the forest and walked for a while and started coming down the mountain a little bit. And there's my dad <laughs> standing out back. <laughs> and it just felt so great to be like, I did it. I'm here. You know, I'm living in Georgia. Now I'm here in Pennsylvania. And then, and then I would continue on from there. That was only just the beginning for you. 
you worked for a lot of different organizations around trails and around the outdoors and growing this culture and, and kind of exciting folks to be outside. And then you went on to backpack the Triple Crown. Take us through what was the decision-making process there? Was it similar to how you did Appalachia? Hey, I'm going to do this. Let's let's go. I've got some experience. I know what I'm doing. I want to see these other places. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I think you mentioned it earlier. A key word here is curiosity. I never had any intention of backpacking the Triple Crown. In fact, I think 20 years ago, it wasn't even really a thing. I've only recently heard people having aspirations for backpacking the Triple Crown before they've, before they've started. You know, I think that for me, it was just a progression. And the other people who I met 20 years ago, I think it was similar for them that they backpacked some distance, had a interesting, positive experience. And so then they were like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see something else. That curiosity driving what's around the corner. What more is there to explore? Not what is there to conquer or defeat or overcome? It was more like what else is there out there to explore? So the Triple Crown was never on my radar. I hiked the Appalachian Trail and then I think then I got back in Georgia and then I hiked the Penhody Trail. And the other thing is too, the world wasn't connected then. I mean, I hiked the Triple Crown without a cell phone. And a lot of my pictures from there are on film because digital cameras didn't exist yet either. So it's just like, I don't think the concept of the Triple Crown was prevalent in a lot of people's mindset. And so for me, it was just something that began to unfold. So then I, you know, so then I hiked the Penhody and then I moved around and did seasonal jobs and served on conservation boards and started to learn more about my desires in life. Before I knew it, I was, you know, saved up enough money that I could go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And so on to the next adventure. And I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and this went on for me for many years, like working two or three jobs for six months and taking off for six months, working two or three jobs in different places. You know, I was always, I was always a moving target. I still am. <laughs> so I would save up my money. I'd work really hard. And then I would, the reward for me was to distance backpacking. That's what I wanted to do. That's how I wanted to spend my time and my money. And after the Pacific Crest Trail, I remember someone a backpacker who met up with me on the Pacific Crest Trail, who I'd met on the Appalachian Trail, he said, oh, well, now you have to hike the Continental Divide Trail. And it just really was, I didn't think that that's what was going to happen. I finished the Pacific Crest Trail, and I didn't turn my sights towards the Continental Divide Trail. I think I did for like, I think I maybe thought about it, but I didn't do anything as far as moving in that direction. I went and hiked the long trail. I spent a good part of that summer in the North Cascades, hiking Oregon and Washington again, and different parts of that. And I ended up in Bermuda for a little bit. And then I was back to work. You know, I think when I got back to, you know, the couple jobs I was gonna be doing over the next couple months to take the next summer off, I realized at that point in time, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out to the Connell Divide Trail. I don't know what's going to happen, but I wasn't interested in completing the Triple Crown. I was interested in the Connell Divide Trail as a separate entity just on its own. It wasn't a package deal for me. And I think looking back on it, I had that perspective simply because that's what worked for me. That's what kept me present. That's what kept me more into, into the focus just being on kind of the day-to-day and not like the larger goal at hand. And that was great preparation for hiking something like the American Perimeter Trail. Just have so much gratitude that I was able to do that and to stay healthy. I mean, there's no reason that I would have been successful or not been successful 
I just remember having a lot of gratitude that I was able to do that. I will share this with you, Mason. When I was finishing the Continental Divide Trail, I was in New Mexico. And I remember having specifically this one day where I sat down and I looked around in the desert and I thought to myself, what in the hell am I doing here? (laughs) What's the point? You know, it's a kind of a nihilist perspective. But it was like, really, what is the point of anything? What am I doing? And I knew from that point in time that my life was going to take on some deeper meanings. And I didn't know how that was going to show up for me. But I knew that backpacking, adventure, and traveling was just an amazing way to spend my time. But as far as like spending my efforts and the energy from my heart and who I want to be in this world as a man, and not even what I want to leave behind because I don't, I'll be gone. I'm, I'm not that interested in legacy, but just who do I want to be in this lifetime? And so I knew that some of the next hikes were going to be more intentional around something more purpose-driven than just adventure. And there's nothing wrong with just adventure. I look forward to many more adventures in my lifetime. But I knew something to my core there that, that things were changing for me, that they were evolving and that I better get on board or fight it. And so I decided to fight it for the next many years. (laughs) Tell us the story about how the idea for the trail came about, because I I believe something happened that kind of made this all click for you. When I came up with the concept for the trail, I mean, the the first time it happened, I'm going to talk about it in that way, like it's an event. But, the, but the, you know, the first time that it happened, I was at a ski hill. I was working at a ski hill. You, you know, I'm having a couple of jobs to try to save up money. And uh, so I can continue to travel and, you know, just things I want to do. And I remember being there and thinking to myself, I'll backpack the American Perimeter Trail. I'll create it and I'll backpack it. But in the exact same thought was, I'll never make it. If it's not purpose-driven, I won't even be interested. I'll, I'll backpack for a while and start having some of those existential questions of what am I doing here or why am I doing this? And so that was a package deal. Like when that thought came together, it wasn't, well, it would be really interesting to, to go on this long backpacking trip for however long it takes. It was a package deal where I knew instantly it was, I'm going to create the nonprofit and the organization that's going to build this trail. And I'm going to backpack the routes and find out what I can along the way. So I knew that they were working in tandem. And so I just had this vision and then I fought it. I fought it for years. I talked with other professionals in the field. I talked with other conservationists. I talked with you know folks that had started other trails. Like, for instance, the Pacific Northwest Trail. And it was a mix of feedback. I would put it on the back burner and I wouldn't think about it for a year. And then it would pop back up and be staring me in the face, you know, asking those questions about who do you want to be in this world? What kind of man are you? And I ultimately, in 2018, uh, well, I guess it was just at the right after New Year's. I had a horrible bike accident and I broke my helmet. I got a TBI uh, and I ended up in the hospital. It was the next day or the day after that, that I resigned from my position and decided I was leaving that summer to go start this. I mean, it was like a mission felt like a mission. What do you think you'd be doing if you hadn't gotten a bike in the bike accident? Did it take that? to make the leap? Oh, it took it, Mason. Yeah. Yeah, I'm stubborn. And so, <laughs> and so, I mean, some people can have like a gentle nudge. Other people can have like a, a simple suggestion of maybe you should start heading in this direction. But I have been fighting so hard that it really took like a, just a solid physical knock. <laughs> I mean, I, I got knocked out. <laughs> I had to give, I had to be like, just shut down, like control out the lead on a computer. We're starting over. This program is not working. We're going to run another one. 
it just gave me like a pause, a moment. I couldn't go back to work for a couple days. You know, I was like on a doctor's note and it just gave me a little bit of separation in space and time and reflection to ask myself, what am I doing here on this planet? You know, what am I doing? Not why am I doing it even just what am I doing here? Is this in alignment with my purpose? Is this in alignment with my character? Is this in alignment with my being, with my spiritual being? And it wasn't. So something had to give. And I had the, you know, I had what I felt like was the perfect remedy or antidote right there in my pocket, which was the American Perimeter Trail. So you, you started this trek July of 2019, the exact mileage around 12,000. You know, you tell me, you know, I know that's around where it was. So much happened during that time. You know, this is, I mean, and you finished recently, like a month ago, a month and a half ago. It's a long trek. A lot happened in the world during that time. What was it like to be out there with some of these enormous worldwide things going on? from social movements to the pandemic to presidential elections. What was that like? How did, how did that show itself out there? I mean, I think I felt like a lot of people and the word that comes to mind is disturbed. You know, I think I felt disturbed like many people. I felt distant and separate like many people, like almost all of us did. During that time, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic when I left to go do this. And I'm glad that I left when I did, because if I had waited another season, we wouldn't be speaking right now. I'm going to be frank with you here. I there were days where I felt inspired because I would see the divisiveness in our country and I would see the divisiveness in the world. And I would see where people were digging in trenches and taking sides. And I wasn't interested in any of that. I'm still not interested in it. Why were you inspired? I was inspired because I felt like if nothing else, if I do nothing else, I can try to do something positive in this world. I mean, think about like the news cycle that's been going on for a couple of years here. We just had a story on TV about the American Perimeter Trail yesterday and what we hear is like oh it's such amazing to hear and see like a positive going on in this world (laughs) when everything else is like there's a shooting here and there's a there's a crash here and you know there's a lot of action in this world there's a lot of moving pieces and it felt inspiring to be part of one of the moving pieces that i felt like was going in a direction that was going to be helpful to humanity Not that I'm a savior or anything like that. I'm not. And I don't get this thing done by myself at all. So that's not what I'm insinuating here. I'm just saying for my little tiny, small self and tiny little part of the world that maybe I could do something not to affect change because I wasn't unrealistic. I didn't think I was going to affect change in the world, but I thought maybe I could do something to change myself. Or maybe just if I held a certain space for something positive in this world, maybe someone else would. Maybe collectively, if enough people did, that the, that the whole thing would look different. So I was inspired. And then there were the, ba- there were the rough days, the months of, of severe isolation, which I chose to put myself in uh, in order to continue my trek during the pandemic. There were days there where I, I wondered because I, I wasn't in the news cycle. I couldn't charge my uh, phone. But whenever I would, like, I would go to a post office once a week or once every two weeks. And I wasn't going into towns. So I was using post offices that weren't attached to towns. I wasn't taking any rides. I wasn't interacting with people. Just a postmaster once a week or once every two weeks. And when I would get like a phone charge, I would call um, one of our um, board members and ask her like, what is going on out here? And some of the news would be disparaging. And I would want to fall into that separate indifference and that negativity and that thing where 
oh, well, I'm out here trying to do like something good in the world while everyone else is trying to fight with each other. I'm trying to bring harmony where there's discourse. And that was not a truthful way of thinking, but I would be remiss to tell you that I didn't have those days where I felt like I wanted to just join into being righteous and having the correct answer and looking down on other people that didn't agree with me. There were times I wanted to fall into that. And it's in I mean, it would have just been, it's just a self-destructing kind of proposition. It's not something that forwards the work that I was doing. It's not something that forwards my spiritual being. It's not something that, that forwards um, my growth as an individual. You know, it's stunting. It's stagnant. It's static. But it also sometimes feels righteous and good. And I just uh, had those days too, Mason. I can imagine. I can absolutely imagine with multiple years, thousands of miles, there's going to be, you're going to cover a lot of uh, possible feelings and situations of the human experience, probably the majority of them. <laughs> and going through the U.S. during that really hard time and being a part of it, but also being separate. All of us were forced into some sort of isolation, at least more so than had we had experienced previous. Um, what do you think you learned about the U.S.? What do you think? You, you mentioned early in the conversation that there's a ton of microcultures and very specific areas that, that do things. It's not a one-size-fits-all here. What do you think you learned from this whole experience, maybe about the people or about the land? And also, what area surprised you the most with its beauty? You know, two, two questions, essentially. Yeah, yeah, Just asking it yeah. once. Okay. Yeah, let's let, maybe start with um, talking about the people. And so what I learned about the people is we are different when we are socialized are in groups than we are as individuals one-on-one -on -one. and that most of us have something we can find something that we relate to as part of the human experience with another individual on a one-on-one -on -one basis when we segregate ourselves or separate into belief systems of a group think that's where it's easier to find the division between you and me. So what I guess what I to summarize, like what I felt was like most people that I met during the trek one-on-one, -on -one, we could always find something to relate to. Everyone feels joy and everyone feels pain. And no matter what you've been through, there's someone out there that's been through the same. Even no, no matter how unique you feel you are, you're just as human as anyone else. And so I think that's somewhat of what I learned. And then also another side of that with people is, though I learned that individually, we can often find something that we can connect with and relate on that we're powerful in groups. Uh, you know, don't misunderstand that I'm saying that group groupthink is always a, a negative proposition we're powerful together. I saw that in many communities. Was interested in places where I went to where there were very few people and, and folks didn't seem to have a lot and how giving they were or caring. I was getting like, you know, messages from the outside about how stupid and horrible human beings were from any, every direction. And that really wasn't my experience. I mean, I had my conflicts with people as I went because anytime you leave non-trail communities, there's going to be a misunderstanding. If you're hiking any of the main trails and you step off trail, people see a person with a backpacker and they know what you're doing generally. Oh, that's the people up on that trail or I've been on that trail. But when you do that in areas where they're not used to seeing backpackers, it can, it, there can be some instances of like spiking some fear leading to some confrontation. But generally, people are good. They mean well because of our kind of conditioning, experience, our trauma. 
this is maybe where we start to separate out from ourselves or where I have. That gets in the way. It just muddies the water. But I felt like I could meet people pretty much anywhere in this country and find something in common with them. I know folks ask me a lot of times, like, well, weren't these people like this here, this way here, or putting people down there, or, or so on and so forth. And I just never really felt that way. Um, I think people were looked at me as somewhat different because of what I was doing, but were uh, I was always welcomed to be one of. As far as areas, I mean, I have to tell you, my favorite parts on the trail were with people, period. So as far as like the landscape, as far as the natural beauty, that is a that can be a matter of preference. You know, are you an island person? Are you a mountain person? Are you a lake person or a river person or a desert person? So that can be a matter of preference. But my favorite times were when I was with people because it was so few. I was with a photojournalist in, in California for a week or so, Canadian photojournalist from Montreal. And then I was with a journalist in North Dakota for about a week. They didn't hike with me, but I saw them uh, at camp. Like we would decide where camp was going to be and I'd meet them there at the end of the day. And then uh, Mindset or Wilderness Mindset Productions, who are making the American Primitive Trail documentary at, you know, through, through Oregon at the end, those were my favorite times on trail because that's the only time I was with someone else the entire trek. I didn't use the Appalachian Trail, so I didn't see any hikers. I saw a hiker and a backpacker in California, and then I went around the country and I saw some in, I didn't, um, I didn't really have a conversation, but I met some in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And then it wasn't until Oregon that I actually like hiked and camped. So it was like at the beginning, I hiked and camped with someone for like a week or so. And then at the end, I hiked and camped with someone for like a week or so. And then as far as like the natural beauty of the place, I was really taken back by the Great Lake Regent. So I was not just exclusively using the North Country Trail during that time, but I did, I did use a good bit of it. And it wasn't an area that I spent a lot of time. So again, that's something that's maybe more of a preference just because I hadn't spent a lot of time there. And I was just really taken back. I was, you know, I looked at them and I was like, that's not a lake. That's a sea. <laughs> and uh, so just the northern forest, I've always been very attracted, attracted to the north country. You know, anything like north of 42 latitude in, in North America uh, sparks my interest. I'm, I'm more of a forest dweller, I gather. But as far as like, I found beauty in the whole thing. Even in the oil fields of North Dakota, there was some sort of stark, lonesome, almost like a whisper in the wind that I could sense and feel. There was even in some places in North Dakota where I knew that there had been huge conflicts between the U.S. government and the tribes that lived in that area where I knew there was a lot of bloodshed and, and loss. You know, I could sense some of that sadness, but there, and I don't want to make light of this, but if you're one of those people who think you can see God and everything in a doorknob or in a, or in a, a leaf, you know, I, I, I think maybe I have the capacity to see the gray on a broader spectrum of vibration to also see beauty, things that on the surface are are ugly. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. This, we're, we're having a different conversation I expected we'd have, and I'm all for it because adventure is not what you think it's going to be. And that's what's so amazing about it is these conversations are like a, a small little adventure. You never know what's around the next turn. But I, I do want to ask, you say you you aren't on the Appalachian Trail. This network of trails, is it just, is it existing trails? Or are you you know, on roads in between, how, how did, how was that practically put together? Because I, I thought you were on the Appalachian Trail on your East Coast portion of this trip, but uh, you're not. 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. And so, and so does everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the map, it looks fairly close. But now that I'm looking at it, it is west of where the Appalachian Trail is. It's far west. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, so I'll just mention, like, I'm working with a geographer and cartographer right now to get this thing digitized fully. So look for it on your favorite hiking apps in 2023. But until then, essentially, like, I'll speak to the Appalachian point. I wanted to spend some time on the Appalachian Trail. It wasn't informative for the long-term project. I knew that. It was totally selfish. I just wanted to be around somebody for, like, I wanted to wake up in the morning and, like, look, I wanted to see someone's eyes one day, a reflection of myself, and then, like, see the into them and then like the next day wake up and like see the same person because anyone I was seeing during this trek, it was just like, you know, if I went into resupply, I just saw people, you know, and they just passed, we just passed each other. And that's what I required by the time I got to the Appalachian trail, having not seen a backpacker since central California, the pandemic hit and a couple of my sponsors either went out of business or they broke their contracts you know, no one knew what was going on. But what I do know is that, you know, if I was recre- if I was doing recreational backpacking, like I've always done, and I was on the Appalachian Trail and I made a personal decision for myself, like the, you know, the conservancy is saying, we're asking distance backpackers to stay off. If I make a decision, you know, I can do that. But my trip was supported by individual contributions and my gear was provided by by gear companies. So if I had stepped on the Appalachian Trail, my trip would have been over. I knew that. And I came up with another idea. And so, you know, I spoke with a lot of people. How do I continue on this trip? One of my friends, backpacking friends said, well, you have to have drones. <laughs> and I, I didn't know how to go forward. I didn't even know if I could get back to Oregon on a plane. And so I came up with a methodology called a backpacker's approach to social isolation. And I broke it up into two categories of soft skills and hard skills. And I followed that methodology for months. And what it did is it put me into severe isolation. And it didn't, I never stepped on the Appalachian Trail. I kept west of it and I made my own route up. And I would contact like uh, local municipalities, law enforcement and trail organizations in front of me to see if it was okay for me to come past. Because like I said, I'm trying to have an ethical hike, but besides being on my high horse about like I was doing things right and someone else was doing things wrong, really, like I'm saying, I would have been cut off if I had decided to just jump on a major trail and travel. So the the route that I picked, I used some of what's being networked together with the Great Eastern Trail, which our organization has a partnership with. I used some of the uh, Penhody Trail, which we also have a partnership with. The, the conference, the American Permit Trail Conference is a 501c3 nonprofit. We have relationships there. So I used some of that. And then there was like, through the Appalachians, there was bushwhacking and there was cross country and there was road walking and there was railroad track walking and there was utility line walking and there were two tracks and sometimes i just found things and used them because they were heading in the right direction and uh i would be like well i'm gonna follow this for a while because i i mean i have um the navigate i know how to use map and compass like i know how to navigate so i was i felt very comfortable just going wherever i pleased because i knew i could always find myself if we want to put it that way going through the Appalachians it was like essentially I knew the Appalachian Trail was a no-go and then there were many other ways to traverse the Appalachians besides the Appalachian Trail and since we're a conservation organization going forward it's not in our interest really well it's not that it's not in our interest it's not in our mission or in our vision to use the Appalachian Trail because our mission and vision talks about connecting communities. It talks about creating a conservation corridor. It talks about opening up new areas for recreation, not just going to an area that's already heavily used and already has a large governing body and is already protected, where the corridor is already protected. It's not in alignment with the work that we're doing. So, and it didn't make any, and so, like I said, it didn't, 
it wasn't informative for me to use the Appalachian Trail. So I chose this other way. Other different places in the country, like for instance, I've had a gentleman who contacted me and asked me how to walk around the country. <laughs> and uh, specifically, he wanted to know at the time, how did he get through Texas? Because only 1.2% of the land is public in Texas. I, you know, I explained to him that he, he wanted a list of water sources and campgrounds. And I explained to him that it's very much an intuitive hike. It's what I call intuitive backpacking. And so what did that mean? It meant maybe like I was crossing, you know, I'm walking in an area in Texas and I see a pickup truck on a dirt road down the way. And I go running, almost running in that direction to stop them and say, hey, do you know who owns this next ranch over here? Pull out my map and say, and, you know, often they were like, well, we do or our boss does. And I was like, do you think I get permission? I won't start fires to cross this. And in Texas, there's places where you can almost get 100 miles cross country, not on trail, yeah. but, cr but cross country. And I can't, I can't hand those permissions onward. You know, that was a single deal for me. So when people say like, well, isn't there road walking here? Or didn't you have to go cross country with no trail here? Well, that's why I created the conference because that's the task. And, and uh, that's the task that the conference has is to go to those areas We'll find a, con I mean, there's a connection. I, I have a way of connecting all this. But just like any long trail that's ever been built, I mean, the Appalachian Trail back in the day would have been on a lot of fire roads. And so you get connectivity, even the North Country Trail in places is like that. So you get connectivity. And then over the decades and years, you, you move it off into better locations, things that are more exciting or where there are wild areas or where an easement can be made. It's more complicated than that. There's so many layers to this thing, and that's part of the fun, but it's also the challenge. Well, Rue, I, I, I feel like we could talk at least another hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, easily mm -hmm. between you and me. We could probably talk for a few days. I'm quite the talker, and uh, I'd love to. I, there's so much about this that we could dive into. I have to go in just a few minutes, but I do want to ask before we go, what do you want people to take away from this the existence of this trail, even if they never do it? What are you trying to bring to the world? And what advice do you have for people who, who might be thinking of this big goal to help the world like you were, but maybe a little apprehensive about doing it? There's some pain that comes with having talents and not using them. At least that's been my experience. So I would say identify what your talents are and share them with the rest of us because humanity needs it. If anything... You know, the inspirational piece, I guess, is that I left Bend, Oregon with gear that was over 125 years old, and I had $400 in my pocket. I didn't have any gear sponsors. I didn't have a social media presence, and there wasn't an organization. I had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream not to backpack the American Perimeter Trail, but to get, it, get in the dirt with people and build this thing. And so... Don't sell yourself short based on your resources or your circumstances because the resources and the circumstances always change. But what doesn't change is your heart. You know in your heart. I second-guessed myself and put off my true aspirations for years because I didn't think I was worthy enough or that my circumstances weren't in the correct position that I needed them to, that not all the pieces on the chessboard fit. And at some point in time, you just say, you know what, I'm following my heart and I'll take the consequences. It's worth taking the consequences. I hope that that's something that people can take away from this. And one of the things that we have out here is our beautiful American landscape. And many of us have seen just in the past decade that when it's gone, it's gone. What was farm fields beside where maybe you grew up when you were younger is now strip malls. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with building. There's nothing wrong with supporting society. But there are special places here that I'm trying to identify. And I hope you'll identify them with me. And then we can get in there and make sure that they just remain, that they remain, that they retain that kind of special quality to them 
That's the takeaway. So join us. It's going to be a hell of a ride. It already has been. I mean, I'm just getting started. A lot of people thought that when I walked into Bend, Oregon, my job was done, but my work has only just started. I'm busier now than I've ever been. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine the work is beginning now. It is beginning now. So it's going to take many hands. And I'm not doing this. We are doing this. Texans will build the, build the Texan trail. I'm not going to. It's going to be local communities doing this in a way that is responsible and fits their way of life. Not an overriding kind of character or quality to the entire trail. I wanted to retain the quality and the culture of the areas in which it runs through. So, like I said, join us. Let's spend the next couple decades while we're still on this big floating rock in the universe, (laughs) getting dirty, meeting each other, making connections, and putting this trail on the ground. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rue, this was very inspiring. Really awesome conversation. Thank Um, you. We're going to plug the website and anything else maybe a couple articles that were written about the story and see if folks can get involved. So thank you for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Oh, thank you so very much for having me, Mason. It was my pleasure. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.